This is the body of Christ Church. And well and well to repentance is the key is the key. Even that the blood in the church hall Don't forget about my friends in the dance hall Joy and love me have a great peace of mind And not this me want me dance hall Bring them to find me Go fast and pray Go fast and pray Till Christ that I may friend them fine Stitchy I go fast and pray Go fast and pray Until the devil get thee behind Me fast and pray Go fast and pray Till Christ that I may friend them fine Stitchy I go fast and pray Go fast and pray Until the devil get Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 12, because when we start talking about the different topics pertaining to the Heavenly Father's feast days, one of the things that we bring out every single time is how these days were not just relegated to Old Testament. They were not just relegated to our forefathers 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years ago. These days are for us to observe and to keep even now. The understanding that we have is that these days now, we keep them through the understanding that was given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. When he came on the earth, he kept those days. The followers of Christ after his death, resurrection and ascension back to the Father, they kept the days. So when you look at the body of Christ in the book of Acts, throughout the epistles, the early church, it shows you what days they kept and observed. But when you look at the world today, when everybody's talking about well, the, the body of Christ, talking about what they think the body of Christ is in the world today, the Christian churches, They have taken the gospel and perverted it into something totally different, which is why they're celebrating Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and every other perversion that's under the sun. But when you look in the scriptures, the holy days that were given to us through the Bible were the ones that we were supposed to keep. So as we went from Old Testament to New Testament, we can see that the understanding of what these days are and how to keep them matured and evolved as well. We went over the same thing during the Passover. During the Passover, we explained what? To our biblical forefathers, what was the Passover representation of? Um, don't, don't, don't give me blank faces on something like that. We just kept the Passover. Yes, bro. Was that what Abraham, that's what, that's what, that's what they understood it as 3,000 years ago. Oh, um, what did that, that they was, understand it as? They under, they under, Moses understood it as the, the exodus out of Egypt, and uh, the lamb had to be sacrificed. Uh, John, uh, our forefathers understood that as a, from just a historical point of the heavenly fathers bringing us out of the land of Egypt. Right. So when you, so when you look at what the Passover was about. It was the commemoration of the exodus out of Egypt. That's what they understood it as. That's all they understood it as. It wouldn't be until the fullness was revealed that you could turn around and look and say, oh, Christ was the lamb. Oh, that's what the blood over the doorpost was for. That was the blood, his blood. 
That's why the sacrifices had to be made. So all those things came after the fullness was given to us. Prove that. Go to Luke 24, 44 first. Hold your spot in Colossians. We're going to come back to that. We read this last week as well. When we started talking about how the fullness of that understanding was going to come to pass, but it had not come yet because we were allowed to see, experience, and know a lot of things that our biblical forefathers in their lifetime, they hadn't seen. That's why even when you get to the New Testament, it even says that, that our forefathers desired to see a lot of the things that that they died because it didn't happen in their lifetime. Many of them didn't get to see the Lord come in the flesh. They didn't get to see the promises being fulfilled in that capacity. But what happened, we still know that those things took place, and we still know who those things were pertaining to. Luke 24, 44, Bible. Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So after the death of our Lord, when he resurrected, as he was walking along the way, he ran into the apostles and explained to them who he was and gave them the understanding of the things that they spoke of. Because, matter of fact, go up a few verses right to the point where he revealed who he was to them. Because that's really what I want to get to is what things were being fulfilled and what things that he was speaking about and what things did they not understand? So let's stay in Luke chapter 24. And go to verse. Go to verse um, 13. All right. And we're going to read about when the apostles ran into the resurrected Jesus Christ. All right. Luke 24, 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So now the the crucifixion and death of the Lord. And some of the apostles are walking, trying to get in the mind state of what just happened. Wasn't he the most supposed to be the Messiah? Did the prophecy get fulfilled? What we, so they're trying to see whether or not this was real. Because they, they saw the miracles. They saw the blind receiving their sight, the lame walking. They saw the dead raised. But now, 16, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk in our sad? And one of them, and one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast not thou, and hast not known things which are coming to pass there in these days? So they asked them, what's happened? Because this was this was published abroad. I mean, this was the biggest event that happened in Jerusalem. And it happened during the Passover, where everybody was there. So they're looking at him like, are you a stranger? What? How could you not know what just happened? 
Read. And he said unto them, what things? So now he says, what things? And they, and they said unto him, concerning Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Read. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, the death these things were done. So they're saying we trusted and believed that he was the one, but now he's dead. Read. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished when they, when, excuse me, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying, in the vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Read. Then said he unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? So now he's going back to the things that they should know. Like, you should know these things because the prophets have told us these things, that Christ was going to suffer and then enter into his glory. We know that from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah outlined the whole entire way he was going to be he was going to suffer and die. We know that from the Psalms. We know that from many of the prophets that these things were going to come to pass. Read. And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the things, the scriptures, in them, excuse me, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So starting at Moses. So when did Moses speak of Christ? Deuteronomy uh, 18. Yes. When he told him about that prophet that was going to come like unto him that all Israel was going to hearken to. So he says, starting at Moses, and all the prophets. So he just went, started at Moses and went forward. Then Isaiah spoke about him here. Then David spoke about him here. And Jeremiah spoke about him here. So he's going through explaining where he was in the Old Testament. Was the New Testament even written yet? No. So what scriptures is he speaking of? He's speaking of the old. Continue. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass that as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he he talked with us by the way, and while he opened, so that's what's going on. He was there teaching them, but he was also opening the scriptures and opening the understanding to them. So when you jump down to verse 44, when he runs into them again, the second time, he explains to them about the words that he spoke to them while he was with them the first time. Verse 44. 44. I got it. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Read. 
Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. So when you look at that, he's meeting with them and he said, these are the things I was telling you before. Because just up above, you read about how he went from Moses, starting at Moses all the way down the line to the other prophets. So now he's meeting with them again. He said, these are the things that I spoke to you about the first time. That all the things that were written in the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets concerning me have to come to pass. So it's no different when you're looking at the holy days of the Lord as well. So when you go back to the book of Colossians chapter 1, it tells you that all these things were about him. Everything was about him. Because in him all fullness dwells. Colossians chapter 1, start at verse 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So we know forgiveness of sins is through him. We know that redemption is through him. We know that we receive the adoption of sons through him. Continue. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So now it's going back, the firstborn of every creature. Even as we're going into the Feast of First Fruits, this is being explained. He is the firstborn of every creature. Read. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Read. And he is the head of the body of the and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So the scriptures are very clear about who has the preeminence and where it comes from. So when we start going into the scriptures pertaining to the laws, the statutes, the commandments, the holy days, and all the things that we were dealing with from the past, it was all leading us to the perfect understanding of him. Even how we kept the laws came to greater clarity through him. Last week we did the class going over the laws, the difference between the Levitical priesthood, the circumcision, and how that was perfected through Christ. So it wasn't the law being fulfilled, but he fulfilled all things when he became the one true high priest. When he went into the true tabernacle and not just an earthly physical tabernacle, when he became that last sacrifice, he fulfilled those things. Correct? Yes? Yes. Mm -hmm. So now when we look at even the things like we're talking about today pertaining to the Feast of Pentecost, and what are the other names for the Feast of Pentecost? Feast of Weeks. Feast of First Fruits. Absolutely. So that's the reason why when you go to the book of Numbers, chapter 18, it tells you a hint about what this feast was about. Because it goes back to the first fruits and the things that were offered unto the Lord in a sacrifice to him.
Numbers chapter 18, and I think we can just go right to the point, um, start at verse 12. Numbers chapter 18, verse 12. All the best of the oil, all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. So when you start looking at the priesthood, because this whole chapter 18 is talking about the tithes, the offerings, and, and the gifts that were going into the priesthood. So now it's letting you know who was going to get the first fruits and what the first fruits were. The first fruits were considered the best of everything. So it was the first of the harvest, the first of the corn, the first of the wheat, the first of the wines, the first of the liquors, the first of the yieldings of the flock, the first of everything was the best. And that's why the Lord was explaining that the first fruits belong to the priest. So read that again, verse 18. I'm sorry, verse, verse 12. 12. Verse 12. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. Read. And whatsoever is first ripe in the land, which they shall bring unto the Lord, shall be thine. Everyone that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Read. Everything that openeth the matrix in all flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of men or beasts, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the firstlings of unclean beasts shalt thou redeem. So now you look at it, he was saying, even among the animals... And the things that were born and came out of the matrix, came out of the wombs, even those things were considered the first fruits. Verse 16. And those that are to be redeemed from a month, and those that are to be redeemed from a month old, shalt thou redeem, according to thine estimation, for the money of five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 giraffes. But the firstling of a cow, or the firstling of a sheep, or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar, and shalt burn their fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the flesh of them shall be thine, as the wave breast and as the right shoulder are thine. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord, have I given thee and thy sons, and thy daughters, with thee by statute forever. It is a cup ever before the Lord unto the end, and unto thee, and to thy seed with thee. So we already know from going into what we were dealing with last week, going into Hebrews 9. We get to Hebrews 9, we know what happened to all of those gifts, sacrifices, offerings, and what they mean now. So when you go to Hebrews 9, and we look at the reformation that came through our Lord, we know that we're not dealing with taking the matrix, animals out of the matrix, sacrificing their blood, and taking the fruit and the corn and the oil and all those things, because we're not dealing with those that same temple and sacrifice anymore. So Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, talking about the same thing dealing with the priesthood, we just read in um, Numbers, the 18th chapter, if you want to, you can go through that whole chapter and see the different things that were set up as the gifts and offerings for the priesthood. 
So we know that it was talking about the Levites. But by the time you get to Hebrews, the ninth chapter, where it's given the explanation of why those things were reformed in Christ, it starts by explaining where they came from as far as the priesthood was concerned. So in Hebrews 9 and 6, once more, it talks about when these things were first ordained. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest always, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. So we already know that our Lord, Jesus Christ, he is now the high priest, now and forever. He's never stepping down. He's going to fulfill that office forever. So we're never going to have another man on earth calling himself the high priest because he's standing in the true tabernacle even now as we speak, making intercession for us. And the same way this high priest had to make offerings for the errors of himself and the people once a year, our Lord sacrificed himself once ever, and they will never have to, he will never have to make that sacrifice again. Read. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So somebody explain to me what verse 8 means. We went over it last night at the Cubs class. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. <laughs> well, as the first end, in other words, the Holy Spirit was showing us that the way into the true tabernacle, which is in the heavens, was not made known until the end of yet, while that first earthly cardinal tabernacle was still standing. So give me a little more. What was the what was the true tabernacle and what was what was not going to be what was not going to be revealed to the people as long as that temple was standing. And the people are not gonna understand how to come to Christ unless that first tabernacle that first uh, unless that first tabernacle well, people was not going to know how to follow Christ, how to apply Christ's word until the Most High destroys that temple. Exactly. That temple had to go. Because as long as that temple was standing, people would never understand that salvation was through Christ. Because where the temple was central to everything. Every single thing that you see for any of the captivity, whether it go to Babylon or the temples destroyed, you read the book of Lamentations, the temple. You get to the Apocrypha, you read about the Greeks destroying the temple. By the time you get to the New Testament with Christ and Romans, they talk about, this man said he was going to destroy the temple. Everything was about the temple. Because the temple was salvation. That was where the priests taught. That was where the sacrifices were made. So that was where you got your atonement from. And if that was gone, you were cut off. Zach, you want to bring that a point? Yeah, I mean, you've already stated it, though. But ultimately, the people were still tied to that temple. The temple was only symbolic. That's the understanding that the people didn't have at that time. And it took the teachings as well as the death of Christ for the people to really understand that this is only symbolic of the true tabernacle in the heavens 
And that's why what it was bringing out in Hebrews is that that understanding was not going to be manifest in the minds of people until that temple had to go for good. There are still people in the world today trying to rebuild it. There are people in the world right now that think that the temple is whatever church they in. There are people right now call themselves black Hebrew Israelites that are quick taking blades and slicing the throats of goats in their basement and getting rabbis' licenses to do that because they don't understand Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And they're still trying to resurrect a destroyed temple. Why? Because they don't understand that we have a temple. We have a temple. We have a high priest. We have all those things in Christ. Right. Yes, bro. I just have a verse. Um, Matthew's 24, verse 1, because um, we say in the temple, and this, this shows the magnitude of the temple, um, even on the disciples. Bring it out. And it says in Matthew 24, 1, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And verse 2 says, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Um, so now the disciples, okay, was trying to show in Christ the great um, um, location sites in the temple of the Heavenly Father. Now let's keep in mind, Christ was there too. He, in the Gospels, uh, they found him talking to the scribes and the elders, and he had to double back and find them in the Gospels. So he, he knew all of that. He saw all the things, but here these disciples were making, look, this is the temple, the temple, the temple. And at the same time, Christ was uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, what what can the temple do that Christ um, Christ exceeded the things in the temple? So what can they show him to impress Christ when the Most High sent Christ to, to teach them? So it was like they still didn't see it. They, it was about the temple. They didn't see it yet. But like we read in um, in Hebrews, that that had to be destroyed for them to see Christ. So, like that song. So. That's the point because when you look at everything, and this is and this was something that was really hard to understand because you have to understand we're not talking about things that were going on for a decade or a generation or a century. We're talking about thousands of years of this understanding being cemented in place. And now here comes this man that basically says it's not about that building and it never will be again. That was hard. That was a hard thing to understand, which is why when you read the class, we were in the class last week, we went over Acts the 15th chapter. What were they saying? Even after Christ, they were still saying, no, it's the temple. It's the temple. Didn't we just go over that last week? So it's showing you that that understanding it still took time for it to progress. So as it pertains to what we're talking about with the holy days, it's just, it's exactly the same. Our understanding of what the holy days were had to mature as well. Because we're reading about first fruits, and then we, we already read it in the book of Numbers about it's going to be the first of the wine, the corn, the oils, and things like that, the firstling of the flock. Which one of y'all got flocks of animals right now? John, John, you might have a flock. I know you probably got 
flock of flies. You got a flock of. You got a farm behind your parents' house. Well, it's a midnight church. Thank you for sharing. So, verse 8 once more. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So I guess a better question would be, for those of you who in this day and time have flocks and have your first fruits of your oil and wine and and grains, where are y'all going to offer that and who are you going to offer it to? <laughs> Absolutely. No one. Because there is no more earthly tabernacle. There is no more earthly high priest. And the first fruits that are speaking of in the scriptures in the Old Testament is not the same first fruits that it's talking about now. And that's what we're going to be going into in just a moment. So read eight and nine together. The Holy Ghost did signify that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So it's letting you know right there, it was for the time then present. For the time then present. That's why you had to offer those gifts and sacrifices. But the first fruits of your wine, your corns, your liquors, your animals did nothing to make you perfect as pertaining to your conscience. It didn't make you a better person. It didn't make you a better servant of the Most High in Christ. But it was required, all those things were required until the time of Reformation. Because it was only symbolic of something else. Verse 10 explains that. And, and let me just add a quick point, because the question you asked, you said, who were you going to offer it to and where were you going to offer it? But there's another point to that, because what did the Most High say about our sacrifices and everything that we were doing? Because our minds weren't pure, our spirits weren't right, and we were still bringing sacrifices to the Lord. He did, Yes, he did. And I got it. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. He said, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. So you know how the Lord talks about the burnt sacrifice as a sweet offering unto him and the Savior goes up? He said, I'm not smelling that. I'm not accepting that from you. Why? Because we were being hypocrites in what we were doing. It says, though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy sounds, for I, the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. So when you look at what he was saying, he said, listen, I don't want your offerings. I'm sick and tired of them because we weren't doing what the sacrifices were according to how we were supposed to do it in the mind of repentance. We were sacrificing for the sake of sacrificing and committing more sin. The most I said, I don't want that. Right, so by the time you get to even the symbolism, you said it was just symbolic of the things to come. So the scriptures tell you that by the time you get to verse 10. So read 9 and 10 together. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. 9 and 10 together. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9. 
which was a figure for the time then present, and which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. He stood on drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So meats, drinks, washings, ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Imposed, meaning you were forced to do this. So when the firstling of your flocks came out, best believe you were going to give the first to the priests. When the firstling of the ears of your corn, your liquor, your wines, your oils, whatever, best believe you were going to give the first to the priests because that was an ordinance forever. You couldn't break it. But that's why it's letting you know that there had to be that reformation. But that's the reason why you still have people that go back to the Old Testament and be like, it says forever. It says forever. It says forever. Forever means forever. But that's why you have to go back to Galatians and explain who has the preeminence, who has the fullness, who made all these things by him and for him, and by him do all things consist. And he was the one that said, until the time of Reformation, because it was never about the day. It was never about the corn. It was never about the wine, the oil. It was never even about the temple. It was always about Christ. So when you go on, you can, I mean, there's other scriptures that explain about the first fruits, whether it be Exodus 22 and 29 or 23 and 16. You can read both of them. Go to um, Exodus 22. Exodus chapter 22, verse 29. Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors. The firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give up. Well, we already know that that was redeemed with the Levites. Right. So, and also when you get to Exodus 23, 16, it says the same thing. It says, and in the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of thy field. Three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall, shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning, going into the Passover itself. So when you look at how it was explaining, three times in the year, what's that, John? That's um, Exodus chapter 23. 16. When you read up 15, it explains what the feasts are. I'll read um, 23, 15. Thou shalt keep 14. I'll start at 14. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month of Beeb, for in it thou camest out from Egypt and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field, three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. So now let's go into when one of those three times took place. 
Now we can go to the book of Acts, the second chapter. Now in Acts, the second chapter, they're keeping the feast. The apostles are together keeping the feast of Pentecost. And they're in Jerusalem. Anybody know why they were in Jerusalem? Christ told them to be there. When did he tell them to be there? Uh, after he died and came back. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 has been on the hot, hot plate. It's been revolving around for us. Luke chapter, and let's go to 49. Let me take a look at it, see if I want to start up above. Oh, you can just go right to 49. This is the last instruction that the Lord gave in Luke chapter 24, 49. Luke 24, verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they were and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So by the time you get to Acts the second chapter, they're still waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. So John, that's exactly right. They were waiting in Jerusalem for the promise that they were going to be endued with this power from on high. They were going to receive that gift that the Lord spoke to them. He said, tarry in Jerusalem until this power comes upon you. And so now they tarried in Jerusalem all the way up until that power came upon them. And that power came on the day of Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the apostles are all together, one accord, one place, and then the promise came upon them. Tarry ye at Jerusalem until ye be imbued with this power. And they were. And the first manifestation was the gift of speaking in tongues. And they were able to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Read. Now when this... Sorry, verse 5. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Why? Because the Lord commanded it back in uh, Deuteronomy. Well, and we, in Exodus. Yeah, we just read it. In, in Exodus, that uh, we were all supposed to uh, appear at, in Jerusalem three times a year. Three times a year. So now we're at one of these three times. So that's why it says in verse 5, and they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Read. <laughs> and going back just up to another minor point, but so people don't get confused in verse 4. 
That's why they were speaking with other tongues. The tongues that they were speaking with were other languages. They weren't speaking that babble that they do in the church that people call speaking in tongues. You had Jews, devout men, coming from what? Every nation under heaven in verse 6. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So that's bring it up. That's what you're talking about. Right. So they were coming from, you know, as it goes on. I'll just read and you take over. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? So when you look at Deuteronomy 28 and 64, for example, and it talks about the prophecy of Israel being scattered abroad, they're looking at this group of men that are coming from all these different surrounding nations, speaking all these different languages, but they're saying, look, aren't all these Galileans, aren't all of these men Jews? And so now what happened? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? So the miracle of this day is the fact that you have people speaking different languages. It might be German, French, Spanish, Hebrew, whatever it was, all the languages that these men were speaking, when they came together, you understood them as if they were speaking your own language. And people were marveling at this because it was an amazing thing. Imagine seeing a group of people all speaking a different language, but you all understand what each man is saying. Go ahead. And just for the strivers out there, we know they wasn't speaking German and stuff like that, so they're going to tell you what nations it was there. Verse 8, And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So all these men will come in abroad, speak in these different languages, but you all, every man there understood them as if they were speaking in their so-called native tongue or wherever the land in they were born in the language that they spoke. That was the miracle of that day. Go ahead. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Go ahead. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. So some looked and were saying, what in the world does this mean? And others looked and said, man, they're drunk. <laughs> Look at all these drunks over here. Listen to all this confusion. Go ahead. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, but said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Mm. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And so this is the prophecy that was all the way back where Joel was speaking of, and it's happening now before their eyes. How the spirit of the Lord was going to come forth on all flesh. 
how Israel was going to repent and start to go out and prophesy and teach of Christ and teach of the works and teach of repentance and show the, the will of the Most High through them teaching this word. It's coming to pass right now before their eyes, and he's explaining this is nothing but what the Old Testament told you would happen under the prophet Joel. This is what you're seeing now. Go ahead. Verse 19. 19. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name, call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, because it was not possible that he should that he should be holden of it. So all of the signs that were in the scriptures, all of the prophecies that were there, as we read in Luke twenty four, Christ was living the mountain, showing the people as he was there on the earth. And what else happened? It said in verse twenty one, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved because what we had to believe on Christ and this is the example and not only is this the example he was the example for us he is our way to salvation he's the one that was sacrificed put to death and became that last sacrifice so that we had a way back to the most high so now his audience in verse 22 is what ye men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the, in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. So going back through the history, when Christ was here, the recent history at that time, when Christ was on the earth, these were the things he was doing. He was doing miracles. He was doing wonders. He was raising people from the dead. He was healing the sick. He cured lepers. He took a woman that had an issue of what blood, blood. of blood for many years and healed her. He took a man that was blind from birth and gave him his sight back. These are all the things that he they were sell these things, but then you took them and put them. Go ahead. Verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. My heart rejoice, and my moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. So David was a prophet too. Because we know that that spirit of prophecy is the what? It's testimony of Jesus Christ. Christ. The testimony of Christ. That's what made David a prophet. He wasn't sitting there telling the future, saying, oh, I see something in your life. Do you have a cousin that died named Franco? And then someone's like, oh, my gosh, yes. That's not the prophecy that the scriptures are talking about. The prophecy that it's talking about is the preaching of Christ. And David was a prophet because he knew of Christ and taught of him before he even walked this earth. Go ahead. Verse 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou will not leave my soul in hell 
neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So when Christ died, what happened with him? He was he was placed in a sepulcher, but that was it. In other words, his body did not see the corruption or the decomposition like regular our bodies do because that was not meant for him to go through. So what happened, you wonder? Three days, three nights, the most I raised him up. Three days, three nights, he was dead, and then he rose again. So he didn't see that corruption like we're going to see it, where our bodies die and go into the earth and decompose, and we're dead till what? The most high appoints a time for us to come back. He didn't do that because what did we read in Luke 24? He gave them their instruction. Go ahead. Verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the way of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. So just to clarify, we talking about history, but David had been long dead. He's been dead for a long time, and what? His body and his sepulchre was with them unto that very day. Go ahead. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So everything that you brothers were bringing out is exactly it, because what happened? Therefore, him being a what? Prophet teaching the testimony of Christ, I showed him what was going to happen. That one of his seed, which means what? Christ was in the lineage of David. David. One of his future, um, future, you know, progeny or whatever you call it, came out and became the Christ that the scripture said that he would be. So that's the reason why they specified David is dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us to this day. If you want to crack it open, you would see his dead bones. Therefore, that scripture was not talking about David. Mm. Because a lot of times when the prophets spoke, they spoke in first person when people think, oh, they're talking about themselves. That's why even when you read about the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, what was his question about what Isaiah said? Is Isaiah talking about himself or some other man? And that's what Philip had to explain to him. He's talking about Jesus, who was called the Christ, who is the Christ. So, we were going to continue on here? Um, we can go. You got something, John? Yeah, it's uh, just a, a point of clarity of earlier. Um, I just wanted to add in that, that when it was saying um, righteous men, Persia, Egypt, Greece, uh, Asia, Cappadocia, all those places that it was speaking of, um, that the scriptures, those were Jews, when it, when it says Jews, those those were men and women of the sea line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Um, and reason why um, um, we were so much. Some would say, "Well, how come they weren't in Jerusalem if that was the case?" But the Lord, as, as was brought out, the Lord told us if we didn't keep His commandments, that He would scatter us in all nations. And I just I just want to read Deuteronomy twenty two uh, chapter four Deuteronomy chapter four verse twenty three it says this is Moses telling the children of Israel when the Lord brought them was giving them their land giving them entering the covenant he told them take heed unto yourselves 
that lest you forget the covenant of the, of the Lord your God, which made which He made with you, and made you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God has forbidden thee. And then when you jump down to verse twenty six, it says, um, "I'm sorry, verse twenty seven. It says, and the Lord shall scatter among, and the Lord shall scatter you among the nations." And you shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. So now, if they didn't keep the commandments, and we didn't, the Lord would scatter us in all nations. So now, when it speaks up to Christ, okay, so that's clearing the point where Daniel was in Babylon. And you had righteous men in, in Daniel's time and generation that wanted to serve the Lord. You had righteous people during Mordecai's time, though the Persians and Medes are running. You had righteous people during the time of uh Tobit, when it was uh, when they was in that land, you had righteous people uh, with uh, Mattathias in those people. Okay, so many generations has come and gone, but that remnant that wanted to do the right will came and was doing an acts at that time. Though we were scattered at all that time, you still had some that wanted to do right. But the heavenly fathers commanded all Israel that remnant to now follow Christ at that time. But I just just wanted to bring out that. The Lord scattered us for our rebellion. We have righteous among us, among us, but now the Most High was calling that righteous to make that decision whether they're going to follow Christ at that particular time. Well, that was a um, beautiful point, and that's also the reason why that Holy Spirit first manifested the way it did in the book of Acts, the second chapter. Everybody, everybody knows how everything went down. We just read it, so you have to wonder why did that power manifest then? Why did that manifest at that time? Because they they tarried at Jerusalem for all this time. Remember, they saw the Lord, and he told them to tarry at Jerusalem so they had be imbued with power. So it wasn't a coincidence that this, uh, this power fell on them on Pentecost. It happened for a reason. All those Israelites from all these other places in the world were coming to Jerusalem. They thought they were coming to celebrate what? Once more, over and over again, you think you're coming for one reason and you're coming for another. Because even with the Passover itself, we think we're coming for the lamb and the blood, but the lamb and the blood was Christ. So 50 days later, we're coming together for the feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Oh, no, you think you're coming together for the first fruits of corn and wine and oil, but that's not why you're here in Jerusalem. You're about to get taught about Jesus Christ. You're about to get taught of the Messiah. You're about to get a history lesson on Old Testament all the way up to prophecy fulfilled, all the way up to going into now the new covenant. And they were living it right then and there as the apostles spoke and gave them those words, explaining them, explaining to them who the Messiah was. So we're just going to jump over one more chapter to Acts chapter 3 and read about the lesson that came after they healed the impotent man. Now you may meet, remember that was the man that was lame, had no power in his legs, and how Peter and the other apostles healed him. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 3, and since most of y'all are familiar with the history, but we're just going to jump to the point and start at verse 12. 
Acts chapter 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why? Hmm? I'm sorry, read it again. I'm reading something else. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? So what they did, when you read the chapter from verse 1, they had found the impotent man, and they healed his legs and allowed him to walk again. So he was no longer crippled. Now all the people that are there dwelling in Jerusalem, they're watching these, they're watching these miracles take place, and they want answers. So they're looking at the apostles that the power is theirs. So what Peter is explaining to them is not our power that you're witnessing. You're witnessing the power that's coming from on high. But he's going to explain to them where it came from and how they obtained it. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, have glorified his son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So now he's going through very recent history. Keep in mind, this is the Feast of Weeks, which took place, huh? Which takes place 50 days after Passover. So we're talking about less than, what, less than two months ago, Christ got crucified. That he's speaking to were there to. So it's not talking about ancient history. Last year this happened. Five years ago this happened. He's like, no, this happened of, of Less a few months ago, a couple of months ago, and y'all were there to see it. Read. Verse 14. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So now he's explaining to them and convicting them of the sin they committed when they crucified the Lord by delivering him over to the Romans when Pilate was determined to let him go because he's speaking to the same people that were saying crucify him, crucify him, his blood be upon us and on our children. That's why he's coming at them that way. He said, listen, Pilate was determined to let him grow and you didn't let him go. Read. And his name through faith in his name have he has made this man strong. Read it again. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So now they have to deal with something really heavy. Not only do they have to deal with the fact that the apostles just healed this man, made him to walk, and did this great miracle, now they have to grasp the fact that the miracle was done in the name of the man that they murdered. Understand? So he's telling them, you desired a murderer to be delivered to you and destroyed the Christ. You said free Barabbas and take this Jesus out of our sight. And now they're coming to the reality of just what they did. But Peter, being the apostle he is, and in the spirit of Christ, he gives them a way out. Read. Verse 17. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance he did it, 
as did also your rulers. So that word what, W-O-T, just means no. So he says, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it. And I know that your rulers did it through ignorance as well. Because it's another scripture that says, but had they known, they would not have killed the prince of life. So he says, I know that through ignorance you did it. And I know that your rulers did it through ignorance. Read. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. So now he's letting them know, I know that you did it through ignorance. And I know that many of your rulers did it through ignorance as well. But all the things that had to befall the Christ were already prophesied and written. It had to take place. Read. Repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Read. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens of office since the world began. So now he's letting them know that we're in the restoration. We're in the reformation. We're in the time of restitution, that all these things are going to be given back to us that were taken away and destroyed. Read. Verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Read. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. So all the prophets from Samuel onward. And why did it start at Samuel? Raise your voice. Because he was considered the first prophet. Explain. In other words, we had judges beforehand. But by the time you get to Samuel, he's considered the first prophet that actually prophesied of Christ as, as well as receive, for lack of better words, receive messages from the Lord. I shouldn't well, say it that way. Well, the reason why I said it because, remember, from the time of the kings on when the nation was established. Mm -hmm. So that's why Samuel is considered the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. We know he's not the first prophet. There were prophets before him. But he was the first to prophesy to the Kingdom, when we were come, we became united after the Book of Judges. So, from Samuel onward, all the prophets were told and told what was. And now we're looking; they were standing there, looking at come to pass on eyes. In their lifetime, they had seen the Messiah. And now they're witnessing the power of their eyes. But now, more than that, they were given another gift. They were given the opportunity to repent in his name and to be forgiven for that grievous sin which they had just committed. So let me just read, just because we've mentioned it a few times, and I just want to emphasize the point with the scripture. This is Revelations chapter 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God 
for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So tell him who was speaking. So that was John. That was John when he fell at the angel's feet to worship him, and they were like, "No, get up and worship the Most High," and just letting him know that the what the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So all the true prophets, like we said, from Samuel going onward, Moses, David. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets, they prophesied of the coming of Christ. But these brothers and sisters that we're reading about in Acts were fortunate enough to see it happen right before their eyes and be witness of that history. Now, verse 24. Back in yeah, Acts 3 and 24. Acts 3 and 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God hath made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And we're witnessing that right now because from where, who, when Acts the second chapter, we have people from Elam, Arabia, Cappadocia, Amphilia, all coming to Jerusalem to receive that blessing. And what was that through Christ? Continue. Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquity. So now, why is this whole chapter important pertaining to the feast of first fruits? Well, let's find out. Let's look at these chapters. Yes, bro. And also, what was that? He's like, ah. when it says in uh, verse uh, uh, 24, in Acts uh, 3.24, where we had, it says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. So now that's stating that you can go to all the books, okay, and they all speak of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So now if you saying, well, that's not, that's Christ ain't never spoken of. All of the prop, books of the prophets, you can flip them, read them in your time, somewhere in that passage, the Heavenly Father has gave the spirit that Christ was glorified in their books somewhere in there. And it's speaking of Christ and that we are going to be gathered and we're going to be taught by him in some form or another. So now for the ones who want to say that this book ain't, uh, Christ ain't the Messiah and, and, and the prophets never spoke of Christ, the scriptures is letting it be bear our witness that the, the prophecy is of Christ and the prophet spoke of Christ, point blank, in all the books of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and that point, I want to just add one little thing that's not a little thing. He said, ye are the children of the prophets. So if we look at what the prophets were prophesying, which was about Christ, and we're the children of those prophets, what should we be teaching? Same, Same thing. Because a lot of groups have this confused. A lot of churches have it confused. They're preaching prosperity. They're preaching, um, you got to know that you're an Israelite. They're preaching all manner of things. You got to know all the laws. You got to know the commandments first. No, the preeminence, which is one of the the scriptures that the brother read first in Colossians, who has the preeminence? Christ. He's the dominant thing. He's the one we're supposed to be preaching about in these last days. That is our doctrine. 
repentance in Christ and nothing more or less. And from that foundation, when it talks about no other foundation can man lay with that which is laid. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking about don't keep the man commandments because, so, you know, people are going to hear what they want to hear. Right. No, that's not what the brothers said. He didn't say don't teach the commandments. The point is, is that the foundation that we lay is our Lord Jesus Christ first. Then on him we build everything else. There are people that their foundation is nationality. nationality. Their foundation is law. Their Tribes. foundation is martial arts. Tribes, their foundation racism. is black militants or whatever, or the, or the Hebrew language. So a lot of people have a lot of different foundations that they base their gospel on. But the foundation is always supposed to be our Lord. Everything else built on top of that. No other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Christ. There you go. Yes, so, John. Just, and, and like, like for example, the foundation. Like some um, brothers that call themselves following Christ, Israelites, they say, okay, we got captains of 1,000, captains of 5,000, 10, 100. But when you get when the foundation of Christ, you don't see that. You see in Christ, you see elders, you see bishops, you see deacons, you see men, you see you see in um, Ephesians where Christ made some teachers, apostles, all of that. So now you might be saying keep the law, all right, but Christ is telling you that we're perfecting ourselves so that we'd be like him and be sons and, and, and daughters of the most high by the way he set up us and by he's giving us instructions and righteousness to teach and educate and edify one another. So now you can go by the thousands, the, the three thousands, the captains, the generals, or you can go by what Christ gave, which was elders, bishops, deacons, um, apostles, um, teachers, preachers, and so forth, evangelists, and so forth. On, but then they're still going to do that word what Christ says, which is repentance and keeping the commandments, but like how Christ said. I just had to throw that. So, All right. So James chapter one verse. Let's just jump down to verse thirteen to bring out the point because we're going into. Now, what happens when we repent and how does that pertain to the feast of first fruits and what it is to become those first fruits? So James chapter one, start of verse 13. James chapter one, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So right there, it's letting us know that we're purifying our minds and let nobody say when he is tempted, he's tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and entice. So in us is the desire to do good and the desire to do evil. It's on us what we are going to follow. If we follow lust, we're going to go into corruption. If we follow after righteousness, we're going to go to salvation. But it's all going back to what we choose. But then he gives us the final instructions in verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. So when you look at what the end of this all was, the end of this whole process was that by us turning to the Lord 
And by us repenting in the name of Christ, we were going to become the first preachers. So why would it use the term first fruits for people? Zach? It would use the term first fruits because of the fact that, uh, yeah, we we were dead in sins like it talks about in Ephesians, the second chapter. But through Christ and us repenting in Christ, we become those first, those first fruits that those that are alive from the dead spiritually, uh, being those examples of Christ uh, as well. Anybody else would help? First fruits, like I said, the scriptures brought out that the first fruits when we brought them in was the best that 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 plant can produce, the best works that we can produce. So now, so now when we're that person, we are the best person that we can be in the eyesight of the most high. Not second best, but the best and on the level of Christ. Just like he's perfected, we will be that same first fruit perfection in him after much hard work and repentance and doing what he says. So when you look at the scriptures about the first fruits, whether it be in Exodus or Numbers or wherever it is, it was talking about the best of your crops the best of your corn, the best of your grains, the best of your oils, the best of your wines, the best of your liquors, the best of your flock. Those were your first fruits. So the scriptures are letting us know that when we repent and dedicate ourselves to serving the Lord and come out of this wicked world, we are becoming the first fruits of this planet. We're becoming the best that this, this world has to offer. And that's why even when you look at what was happening in the book of Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, you were watching men and women become the first fruits to God right there before your eyes. Because they came up to Jerusalem to do what? They came to Jerusalem and bring in, bring in what? Leviticus. He's a Leviticus stuff. What what feast were they keeping? The first fruits. So they're bringing their first fruits. Exactly. So they came to Jerusalem bringing first fruits, not understanding that they were going to have the opportunity to become the first fruits. Mm. See the difference? So that's why we started the class going into the preeminence that Christ has and how all these things were about him, by him, through him. So even the way we started talking about the Passover, we started talking about the Passover, we asked the question, to our biblical forefathers, the feast of the Passover represented the exodus out of Egypt. But it will always be known as something more than that to us. It will be known as the day when the Lord sacrificed himself to become the Passover, to become that lamb without blemish, for his blood to give us salvation. So our understanding of it is going to be much more than what it was 3,000 years ago. And a much higher perfected understanding than what it was back then, because we have the fullness of it through Christ. So even with the Feast of Pentecost, first fruit, Feast of Weeks, to our forefathers was, okay, you know what, we're going to take the best of our fruits and offer it to the Lord, because the Lord deserved the best of what we have to offer. Give it to the priest. But is that what it was meant to be? No. The Feast of First Fruits being perfected in Christ was us repenting from the wicked, evil perversion of this world and allowing the Spirit of Christ to transform us into the best 
that this world has to offer. That's the same thing it explains in the book of Revelation chapter 14. Did you have something else? I have one quick thing because bring well, it out. it's not quick. We'll bring it out. Um, this is John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So we know that that's speaking about Christ is that true vine, and the most high is that husbandman that tends to that vine. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. So when we're talking about that fruit, part of it that makes the thing that makes us good, the thing that purges us, the thing that makes us, makes us clean, is that word that we hear from Christ. It's nothing mystical. It's not getting dunked in water. It's not anything that I don't know what the churches are teaching nowadays, but it's nothing mysterious. It's the word that Christ spoke unto us and us repenting in that word. The word that he teach, teaches us, the word that he taught us, we use it to modify, change our lives to get the evil and the wickedness out. That's why he said, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. So when you look at a vine, you look at a fruit, you can't just take a fruit, cut it, up, cut the branch off, and then it just sits there and survives. It's going to what? Wither and die. But it's saying in order to continue to grow and flourish, you remain part of that vine, you remain part of that tree, and ye shall grow. It goes on to say, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as, as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So you all seen apple trees, fruit trees, when the branch breaks off, what happens to the fruit on that tree? It dies. It's showing you how we have to remain tapped into Christ to become and be and continue as those first fruits. And then it goes on to say, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So all of that is going to say that when we remain in Christ and keep the commandments according to what he's showing us, the word that he's taught us and what he's helped us to learn, then we become those fruits. We remain we grow and we bring forth much good fruit. And we're those first fruits that it's talking about, like what we read in James. Absolutely. So by the time you get to Revelation chapter 14, and it starts speaking of the end, when, when the Heavenly Father sends back our Lord to redeem, to redeem those first fruits from among men, it tells us who they are and where they're going to be. Revelation chapter 14 and start at verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, 
and with him in 140 and 4,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So we know that that's going into the father's name written in their foreheads. So the same way the scriptures talk about the mark of the beast and everybody thinks it's going to be a brand on somebody's forehead, 666, it's letting you know that the same way the minds of our people out here are corrupted with foolishness, wickedness, fornication, idolatry, and every manner of perversion, the minds of the righteous are going to be filled with the commandments of the Heavenly Father and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harpings with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. And it tells you who these 144,000 were right here in verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with woman, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So it's letting you know that when the Lord comes back, he's going to show you and reveal the men that were chosen to become his first fruits and tells you verse four, these were they which are not defiled with women, but they are virgins. So for the people that's out there with wives and stuff like that and got children, that's not what it's talking about. When you look at first, I'm sorry, second Corinthians 11 and verse two, Paul explains it perfectly well what that virgin is talking about. When he's speaking of the church, Paul writes, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So the point being is that as a church, we are not to be dealing with idolatry, witchcraft, fornication in any sense of the word. Whether it be physical fornication, men going out, dealing with women that have husbands, dealing, men dealing with other men, men dealing with incest, bestiality, or whatever fornication is listed in Leviticus, the 18th chapter. Neither are we supposed to be dealing with idolatry and other philosophies outside of what the scriptures are telling us to be dealing with, because now we're committing that spiritual fornication against the Lord. The Lord told us in the Bible that he's married to us. So if we go out and deal with anybody else, what are we doing? We cheat. We fornicate. So that's why it comes back and says, that these men are virgins. They are not defiled with women, whether it be physically and not defiled with women when it comes to spiritually. For these, for they, I'm sorry, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. So what does that mean, that these are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth? Zach. It's not referring necessarily to a physical following. No, it's not. It's referring spiritually as to as we get into the scriptures and we begin to understand Christ and what he requires of us, mm -hmm. then as we understand and grow, we apply the teachings of Christ as we as we go deeper to the scriptures and understanding what the will of Christ is and how we are how how it what it you already said the right answer. You already said the answer. I don't know what you're trying to say. You already said the right answer. So the point being is that as 
our it's not a physical following. It's spiritual. And we come into this faith, whatever understanding that we're blessed with, we have to deal right by that understanding. And as the Most High opens us up, and the scripture says that he giveth the increase, then we have to do right by that understanding. When we came to the doors of this church, we only understood a few things. We knew, okay, grow a beard, don't eat pork, you know, and then, okay, we'll do that. But as the understanding began to progress, it's more than just your physical appearance. It's what you're doing in your, in your personal life. It's more than just what you're doing in front of men. It's what you're doing behind closed doors. you got to stop the hypocrisy. You can't be straddling the fence. You can't be cold and hot, and you can't be lukewarm. You can't be straddling the fence. You've got to commit to this. So then we had to follow the lamb there to that place and come to that higher understanding. Then we were still dwelling in crooked ways. We still had all these things in this baggage inside that we still want to hold on to. We had to let that go. Then the understanding came out that we had the brothers had to deal right. We had to let go of envy, strife, hatred, grudges, variance, and all those sins which you couldn't see with the naked eye. And we had to follow the lamb with us so he goes. We had to grow in that. Then the Lord was showing us we had to deal right with our families, brothers dealing right with their wives, their children, wives dealing right with husbands, and all these things which nobody had been dealing with before. And we had to grow in that. And each and every single time the Lord required more of us and required us to grow to another level of perfection, many went out the door, and others, they followed the lamb whithersoever he goeth. Now, Jesus Christ was not going anywhere. He was always in the same place, teaching us, instructing us so that we could get to where he is. So when we talk about following the lamb whithersoever he goeth, we're not done yet. And he will still be bringing us to higher levels of perfection and higher levels of understanding. But like the brother always say, as we know better, we have to do better. And so what we witness is these men that are written about in the 14th chapter, it tells you that they, through repentance, became the first fruits to God in the land. So read that once more, verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So now as we go forward, keeping the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of First Fruits, in the days that are coming ahead, we have to keep in mind what this day is truly about. It's not a day where we sit back and read some scripture and say, okay, well, right there it says they, our forefathers bought wine and liquor and things like that. Hey, let's have a feast, cook some food, and remember a feast that they kept 3,000 years ago. No, all the feasts that we're dealing with are just as relevant today as they were then because we have the understanding of what it means to us now. So it's not about corn, wine, liquor, and oil. It's about us. How do we become those first fruits? What do we have to purge out to become the first fruits? We have the example in the book of Acts chapter 2 and 3. With men hearing from the mouth of the apostles what their sins and iniquities were and repenting. 
We have it right in the book of Revelation 14 telling you that these men had no guile. They were blameless before the Lord. They were virgins. They were not defiled with foolishness, women, philosophy, fornication, and evil. So we know what is required of us to become those first fruits. And as these days approach, we have to keep that in mind because we have an opportunity to be those first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And we shouldn't let that opportunity pass us by when we have the understanding of how to accomplish it. Did you have anything? Nope. That's it. All right. So with that, we say, Shalom, may the most high in Christ bless you all. If you've enjoyed today's program, join us next week for another installment of Repentance is the Key, airing every Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also visit us on our website, www.thebocc.com, and our YouTube page, www.youtube.com forward slash thebocc1. Once again, that address is www.thebocc.com and www.youtube.com forward slash thebocc1. Acts chapter 17 verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Keep the, keep the